0: You've seen the best. You've seen the
1: worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds.
0: I'm Gayfesh, and I once wondered how Jordy could host Reading Rainbow without his visor.
1: And I'm Ari, and I'm three red cobras
0: on a sparkly bubble. And today we will be reviewing the Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, The Battle, and Hide and Q. But first... But first. At time of recording, it is November 20th. You'll be getting this a couple weeks later than that. But Star Trek Discovery Season 4 has just premiered, but... Two days before it premiered, CBS kind of pulled some some not popular moves. What's going on? The way that Discovery has been distributed in the US and Canada has been through what used to be called CBS All Access and is now Paramount Plus, or actually I think Canada might have a separate service for it, but Mm -hmm. everywhere else on the planet, it has been distributed through Netflix. And people just assumed when Discovery Season 4 was premiering. Oh, it would be on Netflix. But two days before the premiere, like, basically no notice at all, they announced Discovery will be pulled from Netflix internationally by the end of the day. By the end of the day? The end of the day. They announced it, and it was like, oh, it's gone at the end of the day. Two days before the premiere. And there's no replacement.
1: So they can't get Paramount Plus if they're outside of the U.S.?
0: Paramount Plus is only available in the U.S., maybe Canada, and I think there's, like, Paramount Plus Nordic. Okay. So, like, a couple of Scandinavian countries have it. But for the rest of the planet... There is no legal way to watch Star Trek Discovery season 4 or any season of Star Trek Discovery.
1: Are they trying to kill it? What what is that? If you if people can't watch your show,
0: they're supposedly launching Paramount Plus worldwide next year, but oh, and here's the worst thing. I mentioned uh, Paramount Plus Nordic, right? Mhm. They don't get Discovery.
1: So they have Paramount Plus, but they don't have the, one of the flagship shows of the It's service. literally
0: the show that launched the service. Yeah.
1: It would be like if Netflix didn't have like Stranger Things on on one of their countries or something. That's so weird.
0: It's, it's super weird. And it's made a lot of people very upset. Actually, I just even saw uh, the other day Anthony Rapp said he had been hesitant about talking about anything about the premiere because of the situation. Because there are people who can't legally watch it uh, outside the U.S. I mean, Star Trek is supposed to be a universal human experience. Like, it's, right. the, it's the future. There are no countries. Humanity is united. But I guess uh, CBS didn't get the memo. Interesting.
1: Well, you know, I mean, that's going to make people get it other ways. If mm-hmm. People who want to watch it are going to find a way to watch it.
0: Yeah, the, uh, they're going to use VPNs. They're just going to use torrents. It's the 21st century. If people don't have a legal way to watch something, that doesn't mean they're not going to watch it. They're just right. going to... They're just gonna go ahead and get it. And you know who doesn't get any money for it? The people who made it.
1: Yeah, or in the people who starred in it, the people who wrote it, the people who, like, this is their livelihood, because they're screwing with people, with the actors and the people's ability to be able to, like, promote the show. Like you said, Anthony Rapp, one of my favorite human beings, um, was out there saying he didn't even feel comfortable promoting the new season. Because what about spoilers? I know this isn't the biggest part of it, but, like, aren't people who are waiting to, like, even if it does go to Paramount Worldwide next year, people in america who can't keep their mouths shut are gonna ruin the show for other people which is really frustrating
0: it's been a big dramatic thing on star trek twitter a a lot of people are hesitant about even talking about the show because they know they've got twitter mutuals who who aren't inside the u.s and uh for people who are you know playing by the rules air quotes Mm -hmm. which you know those rules are stupid and uh, i don't see why somebody would play by them when they're you know that's stupid but if you are doing everything the correct and legal way you don't get to watch the show. Uh, until next year. They don't even have a release date yet. They just say sometime in 2022.
1: Well, I think it's—I think that's ridiculous. You make a show, and you're in the fourth season of it, and you make it streaming only. You need to make it streaming available to everybody. Like, I mean, I'm paying for Paramount Plus right now to watch Prodigy, but they gave me like a 99 cent deal, and I was planning on just watching a bunch of stuff while I had it, and then canceling it, because a lot of the time it's just they're just stagnant, not getting watched. But, I mean, if I was a huge Trekkie that wanted to watch the fourth season, season of a show that i was completely devoted to and really liked i would be super angry at this point point. plus piracy isn't an option for other people some people So, i mean for a long time i recently just got a new laptop i was working solely off my ipad and my iphone i couldn't have pirated i would have just not been able to watch the show at all mm-hmm. and that's frustrating if it's something that you want to watch something you want to see I don't know, they gotta rethink this, but maybe they just couldn't come to a good deal with Netflix or something.
0: I assume it was if they had launched season four on uh, Netflix that there might have been an exclusivity deal where it couldn't have gone on Paramount Plus Worldwide when they launched, but oh. even if that was the case, like, couldn't they have just delayed the show release until Paramount Plus launches?
1: They could have, but then I guess people probably would have been upset about that,
0: you know? Couldn't they have given people more than two days warning? They bungled the whole thing.
1: Alright, so today we are going to be reviewing The Battle, which is the ninth episode of The Next Generation. It aired on the sixteenth of November 1987. The teleplay was by Herbert J. Wright, the story was by Larry Forrester, and it was directed by Rob Bowman.
0: When a group of Ferengi presents Captain Picard with the derelict remains of his old starship, he begins to lose himself in the past.
1: So it was so obvious that it was a trap of some sort. <laughs> That's the first thing I have to say. It was so obvious.
0: (laughs) I gotta say, uh, I think they did a lot better job with the Ferengi this time
1: around. They sure did, and they got better cinematography. Like, maybe they took a class or something. It was still white (laughs) behind them, so there was that consistency, but it wasn't, like, suddenly up close on their tooth and then suddenly up close on their eye. (laughs) So I appreciated that.
0: I also appreciated that they weren't just, like, straight, complete villains. I mean, obviously, Damon Bach was, but, like, his first officer was, like, Dude, you're doing all this for revenge. You're not doing it for profit,
1: right? Like, Which is like the their whole no. You're so- fired, society. dude. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Beverly reacting so shocked when Picard says he has a headache. Oh, I that was live amazing. In that future.
1: I know, because I have chronic migraines, and I was like, oh, sign me the heck up, guys. I know, I thought that was so awesome. I was, and a good demonstration of how far, like, science has come in this in this technology, you know. She's, she says something like, we've learned to understand the nature of pain, and as somebody, and I haven't really talked about this, but as somebody who has a chronic pain illness, like I do, I have Ehlers-Danlos, and it causes me a lot of pain, I also want to understand the nature of pain so that I can make it stop. Like, to me, that was like, I want to go to there. I want to be in this place where they can get rid of pain, you know?
0: Also, can she just point that thing at your head and do the medical fakery that cloaks the pain?
1: I know. I want that, too. I want the fakie medical thing because that's technically what narcotics do, too. They just unbind the pain receptors in your head so you don't feel it. Um, so basically she was just describing painkillers, but without like being the addictive and that kind of stuff without the side effects of painkillers. And I was like, yes, please sign me the heck up.
0: (laughs) Oh, uh, this is the episode that introduces the sweater.
1: I know I have written here Wesley Crusher in the first appearance of the sweater.
0: (laughs) It is the sweater. I actually have a t-shirt. It was a limited run that Will Wheaton designed that is, uh, based on the dark side of the moon with the prism except instead of the prism it's the starfleet delta and the rainbow pattern is actually just the colors of wesley's rainbow sweater oh
1: i love that sweater um i just i love all of wesley's sweaters but that one is so great i love this
0: is the iconic sweater this is the wesley sweater
1: it's so great i love it so yeah i was really excited to see it come up for the first time Oh, I was really, really thrown off. They pulled the Ferengi on and they just pulled them straight to the the bridge.
0: Yeah, that was weird too. It was weird, right?
1: Like, what was that?
0: (laughs) I I, I assume it was just for uh, expediency of storytelling, but I would have thought they would have brought them to the transporter room like they normally do like
1: everyone else yeah especially maybe the, the
0: Ferengi why would you want to beam them straight to the command center of your ship
1: I know I thought it was so weird I don't know it was weird I and I was like okay maybe they just didn't want them learning the layout of the ship do you think that's a possibility because if they were burnt, beamed to the transporter room maybe they would have had they would have gotten more knowledge about the way that the ship was laid out maybe I don't know I was trying to figure it out
0: that's a reasonable explanation. Um I don't know. I just think if you can beam them anywhere and not have them know the the layout of the ship, I would think beam them to like the conference room because at least then they're not mm-hmm. like seeing all of the instrument panels on the bridge.
1: Yeah, cuz you don't know what they're learning from being there, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> It was weird. I thought it was strange. Gets in. I have not seen them do it before, and I wondered if it was normal or not.
0: You see this in a lot of in some Ferengi, and I really love it. That little tattoo that Damon Bach has on his forehead.
1: Must not have noticed it.
0: It was, just like a, it was just, like, a couple, like, Ferengi characters just on his forehead. I, I'm not sure what mm-hmm. it means, but I've seen some Ferengi wear it, and it's just... I, I like it. It's just a cute little uh, character touch.
1: I loved the I'm all ears joke, as you humans Oh, even I had that one written down, I'm down too. I'm all ears. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> oh, and I love the line, oh, of course, a human joke, because I'm one of those people. I, I am a very literal person, so sometimes jokes, I just don't understand the person's joking or whatnot, and so I laughed at that. I was like, oh... Hey, me too. <laughs> I don't always get human jokes. <laughs> like I
0: said, data is like basically just like an avatar for autistic Star Trek fans. Um, I literally the other day uh, uh, made a joke uh, to an autistic friend of mine, and she didn't realize I was joking, and she got very hurt. And I had to be like, "Oh no, 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 no! Joke, joke, joke. You're fine." Um, yeah, because I just that's don't think me. that way. I think people are. <laughs> I'm a very sarcastic person, and I I'm always assuming that people can pick that up. But especially in text and especially to people who are literal minded, it doesn't work that (laughs) way.
1: Exactly, because I had to learn a while ago that sometimes because you'll say, hey, can I ask you something in seriousness? And if you say that, it means you're about to make a joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every time. And it took me a <laughs> while to figure that out. Um, so do you think when I'm having a chronic migraine that a Ferengi, a Ferengi glowing ball is controlling me? And how do I find the gl- glowing ball to destroy it?
0: Okay, so first you're gonna want to uh, make sure go into like a cryogenic chamber until uh, I want to say 2064. Okay, uh, because that's when Zaphram Cochran will invent the warp drive. And once you've got that, then you can go out to uh, Maxia and find the Stargazer. Perfect. Because that's where the Perfect. that's where the ball's hidden.
1: I'll, I'll just go freeze myself right now. <laughs> um. So I have a question about the classes of starships because yeah. they say that. The Stargazer is a constellation class, and Correct. so what are the types of classes, and is there a huge difference between them? Is it important information to know?
0: Um, the there's there are uh, a ton of starship classes. The big ones, the like the iconic ones, like the Enterprise is a Galaxy cra- class. The uh, mm-hmm. the Enterprise D is a Galaxy class. The original series Enterprise is a Constitution class. Um, okay. And actually, I think originally it was planned in the script that the stargazer would have also been a constitution class. But I think there has been like some studio thing where they're like, we don't want that ship to appear in anything outside of uh TOS stuff. Okay. Because you'll see other ships that appear like you'll see other galaxy class ships appear in other series and stuff like that. But you never really see a Constitution class starship show up unless it's specifically in that era, and it's specifically the Enterprise. Okay. But yeah, the the Constellation is a type. The Excelsior class um, is a type that you'll see a ton of. There's also. Um, and do him- they
1: just denote the size of it, or is yeah. there other things that the classes denote, like what it does?
0: There's like some, uh, like the Miranda class that was the uh, the starship that uh, Khan stole in the Wrath of Khan. Um, that one is more of like a, a like a dedicated scientific exploration ve- vessel, because um, it's, okay. it's got like a lot more like instruments for for like sensing and, and you know, scientific uh, experiments and stuff like that. So there are there are differences for them. Some of them might have experimental warp drives. Um, it, it depends. There, but yeah, there are a, a wide variety of starship classes. The Enterprise is what you would probably call a capital class.
1: Yeah, because, see, I heard that, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, because I didn't actually know that the Enterprise was called the Galaxy, so now that helps me understand a little bit more, like, it's because at first I was like, constellation class, what could that possibly mean? You know, like, I was trying to figure out what that could mean, and then it looked very much like the Enterprise, at least in the shape, because it has the saucer, and it had, you know, the shape of a regular Enterprise starship or whatever. There's a lot of ship classes that are called uh, um, kit bashes,
0: where they will just take pieces from like uh, other sh- uh, other ship classes that they have designed and put them together. So there's always going to be, uh, you know, uh, a design aesthetic with Starfleet vessels that is usually the the saucer and the nacelles, and mm-hmm. uh, in-, in some configuration. I think the only ships that really kind of break that mold are like the Defiant in uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, because that one. Looks more like the Millennium Falcon, um, oh, but for the most part, it's you got your saucer and then you've got your two uh, nacelle tubes and then like a main body hull or something like that.
1: Okay, well that helps me understand a little bit more. I liked the design of the Stargazer. I thought it was interesting. How many do we know at this point? Or you'd probably know, but should I know at this point how many different ships Picard has captained? Uh, two. So the Stargazer in the Enterprise? Yeah, he was
0: captain of the Stargazer for 22 years. And then I'm guessing he um uh after after the, they abandoned the Stargazer which was 9 years ago, uh, right. he he probably was uh just stationed like on Earth or at like a star base or
1: something like that. So is like the that. Stargazer the one that Beverly's husband and Wesley's dad was on? Okay, so when he saw the Stargrazer and realized what it was, he said, get Beverly up here, I believe. And I was like, oh, it's because it's the ship that her husband died on. And I thought that was going to tie into this episode, but it didn't.
0: I wish it had. Yeah, the, the, that felt like a missed opportunity to me because, yeah, she should have felt something. She's like, yeah, this, my husband served on this ship. My husband died on this ship.
1: Yeah, I know. And I was, like, so surprised that they never even brought it up. (laughs) I was like, okay, well, that was weird. Complete change of subject without a segue. But I want to talk about how plants with big green leaves probably would not be on the Enterprise. Because big green leaves are meant to get as much sunshine as possible. That's why they have big green leaves, right? But I happened to notice a couple plants in this episode where basically it was just a normal house plant from Earth where they had just stuck some random looking flowers on it or whatever Uh and i was started thinking about well they could make like i have a grow light essentially for my plants during the winter so maybe the lights in the in the enterprise also have the right uv for plants or whatever but i started thinking about how plants from different planets would have different like requirements and i started thinking about how hard it would be but maybe i'm just overthinking the whole plants on the enterprise thing
0: (laughs) You would have to ask the set decorator. I'm sure they didn't overthink it either. I'm sure they were like, this looks nice. There.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah. But in reality, like, you would think they would be more alien and more different looking because only the reason that our plants in our country, our country, our planet have leaves is because they're trying to soak up as much sun as possible. And so I thought that was interesting. There was an episode of Star Trek Enterprise, the one with Scott Bakula,
0: where Hmm. they go to a rogue planet. Uh, It's a planet that's not in a solar system, and so, like, when they beam down, everything's dark. But, like, it's got all this plant life on it with, like, you know, leaves and everything. And I'm just like, that doesn't make any sense. There's no light. Right, (laughs) What are they photosynthesizing?
1: Kind of like that. That's exactly what I was thinking when I was looking at these things. Um, So, let's talk a little bit about how easily susceptible Jean-Luc Picard is to mental things trying to mess with him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is, like, um, this is the second time it's happened so far. Uh... We yeah. had the, uh, well, the first time he was like literally possessed by an entity. So that's you know. true. But they don't really go into great detail on the um the, the orb thing, how it works. I don't know how they would have tuned it specifically to Picard's brain.
1: Or, and I thought it was kind of weird writing how it only affected Picard and no one else. Like no one else was feeling it the did effects. Affect Deanna. Of it affect Diana. Diana felt the effects, remember? Oh, that's because true. Because she's an empath. Yes, yeah. but she felt it from Picard, I thought, not necessarily mm-hmm. from yeah. the cu- the cube thing. I guess it wasn't a cube, it was a sphere. But yeah, so for me, I was like, wow, he's like, his mental fortitude, this is the second time we've seen him kind of like get manipulated. I thought at some point he was finally gonna say, okay, look, I'm clearly like losing my mind, you guys should put me in a, in like the brig or something, you know, do they have a brig?
0: They have a brig. <laughs> it feels like they're a little slow on like stripping the captain of his powers for like medical reasons uh particularly because you have situations like this you would think that in the 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 previous episode that this happened in lonely among us uh they had the entire senior staff meets together to basically discuss what kind of a mutiny they they would have to do to uh to, to stop this but it feels like You run into enough situations like this, they should just have a medical protocol for, okay, the captain is being controlled.
1: Right. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Or the captain's, you know, drunk on polyjuice or (laughs) polywater or whatever. (laughs) Like, there should be a protocol for when an alien species takes over your captain, just like the Ferengi did in this episode. They were far more palatable though, weren't they? The Frangi? I thought they were far more palatable. I liked
0: them a lot more. They were still doing a little bit of the weird body movement that doesn't really that hasn't Work. gone away completely yeah. yet, but it's it's not the um the the crazed gerbils that it was the last time.
1: Oh, where they were jumping around that planet, it was so bad. Yeah, yeah it was bad. Um Oh, I'm gonna say now that when Beverly looks at Jean-Luc and says under protest sir and then turns around and walks out i'm stealing that i'm just gonna next time somebody says something that and i don't agree with it i'm gonna say under protest and walk out (laughs)
0: that's cute when they were examining the um the 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 fake recording where picard like they had faked the confession that picard had destroyed the ferengi vessel nine years ago and data is able to determine how it was a forgery they use real computer science for that. It wasn't Trecnobabble. It was like an actual thing. Cause he mentioned checksums and then uh, he mentioned checksums, which, you know, uh, I don't even need to explain it like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can Google that. That's, that's, uh, just that, that's how we do a lot of, uh, uh, verification of authenticity right. of, of stuff. But then like records, like in English, please data. But I'm just <laughs> sitting here like, wait, no, that wasn't made up.
1: That was a real thing. I right. understood it. <laughs> um, it, it, it I thought that that whole thing was really interesting because it felt like Riker really desperately wanted it to be that the other one wasn't fake. But did Data ever actually clarify which one? Because I thought he said one of the two is fake and the other one isn't. And I thought maybe there was going to be more to that. But obviously it turned out that the one was fake.
0: I I think that was just more because when... uh when he's like, one of the two is fake. He's like, you mean the one that implicates Picard is fake? He's like, yes, I said one of them was fake. I, I think that was just, from Data's perspective, by saying one of them is fake, he was implying, of course, correctly, you know, which one is fake and not. Uh, it's just, I think he just had a different grasp on the the, uh, the nuances of language.
1: So, the one of the most unbelievable parts for me was when Captain Jean-Luc was like, we need to conserve tractor beam. Like and the Riker was like okay, and he said something like, "Didn't you practice or didn't you learn about tractor beam conservation at Starfleet?" And I gotta ask, do you think that's the most boring class at Starfleet, or do you have any other ideas for what the most boring class would be? That sounds horrifyingly boring. And now today, students, we're going to learn about tractor beam conservation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I I would hope that would just be a like, have you ever? been at a a work meeting where you're just like, this could have been an email. Yes. It would be like that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, this is such a weird thing. And for him to be focused when all of this is going on, on tractor beam conservation, I was like, well, and then after we find out what he's going to do, they've like clouded his mind so that he thinks that he is, he's currently, you know, in that battle, the Battle of Maxia or whatever. They Mm -hmm. had to have the starship... Untractor tractor beamed in order for him to do the Picard maneuver, right? So that had to happen. They had to manipulate... The tractor beam, so that had to be a, solu- a suggestion from the Frangi because they were trying to get it to the point where they could take over or whatever, right? And have him do the Picard maneuver,
0: right? Because if the ship's locked in a tractor beam, it can't, uh, uh, you know, uh, position itself for firing or it can't can't move around. Um, yeah. Actually, I, I want to talk about the Picard maneuver because, like, that's actually a really cool. Um...
1: Yeah, explain it to me like I'm five because I had a hard time following exactly what the maneuver was supposed to be.
0: Okay, so you know the speed of light, right? Yes. Okay. Um, if something is moving faster than the speed of light, then it will arrive in front of you, and the photons that come off of it when it arrives in front of you will reach your eyes before the the photons from where it used to be. So when okay. you see that, you'll then get an after image of where it used to be.
1: So, so it'll look like it's in two places at once.
0: It'll look like it's in two places. Actually, it'll look like it's in three places, because... As it travels towards you faster than light, the the photons from where it was at each point along that trail will show up. And so what you'd actually get is you would see the original ship, and then once it goes to warp, you would see it as it exits warp, and at the same instant you would see another copy of it going in reverse from the point of exiting warp, and then it would go and return to the original ship, and then it would disappear.
1: Do you think the Holdo maneuver in The Last Jedi was was based on the Picard maneuver? Because it kind of was the same, like, going into light speed. Well, uh,
0: di- different. I mean, the, the Picard maneuver is... The Holdo maneuver is a kamikaze uh, attack. The, That's uh, true.
1: <laughs> the Picard
0: maneuver is uh, a, a sensor trick. Okay. Yeah, no, it was... Uh, I, I, I really like it. Um, I thought that just grabbing the ship in, in a tractor beam when it had already gone into warp like that seems a little silly because like wouldn't you have gone into warp and then dropped out of warp in attack position so it didn't matter if you locked on locked on a right. tractor beam because they could still fire yeah. or maybe the tractor beam is able to grab the uh, uh, any photons if they fire out i don't know
1: <laughs> i don't know either but i i mean I, I the whole time i was like well clearly he's going to set himself up to do his maneuver because he's reliving this past or whatever and then I expected because Riker knew what the maneuver was, he would find a way to stop it. And then they just had that throwaway line of there is no way out of it, sir, or whatever. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. It, it, it did
0: seem odd that if it's a maneuver that they're teaching at the academy, that they wouldn't mm-hmm. have, strategists wouldn't have devised uh, um, a potential solution to it before Data. And Data came up with a solution pretty quickly. So you would Pretty quickly. Military minds think about basically every single potential contingency for shit like that. They they would have <laughs> thought yeah. of something at, at well, that if point. Well, like
1: you said, if they're teaching it in Starfleet, that means it's very well known. And that means that other people could be out in the galaxy doing it. So, of course, they're going to figure out how to counteract it. But mm-hmm. it's it's whatever. But it was just one of those things that kind of bothered me. Like, well, obviously everybody knows all about this maneuver. Riker knows all about this maneuver, so he's just going to counter maneuver to whatever the maneuver is, right? Mm-hmm. And so it felt kind of set up from the beginning that obviously there's no real danger here because it can be stopped. But that's just me being kind of like I didn't quite understand that part, you know. I- I would like to
0: talk about another Picard maneuver. Um, Mm -hmm. We haven't really seen it in the show yet, but it is the thing that most fans know of when they think of the Picard maneuver. And uh, it is, uh, it has to do with the uniforms. Now in season one and two, their uniforms are a one piece. It's a jumpsuit type thing. yeah. Yeah. It's a jumpsuit type thing. But uh, due to insistence by um, uh, Patrick Stewart's chiropractor, th- they made these suits actually like one size too small for all the actors because they wanted it to have no wrinkles, and it was causing all sorts of problems with Patrick Stewart's back. And so the chiropractor's is like, "You got you got to change the uniforms because you're 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 hurting his back." And so starting in season three, they go to a two piece where they have uh you know a, a, a shirt and pants combo, but. The shirt would ride up on Patrick Stewart whenever he sat down. So from season three on, whenever he stands up, you will notice he shoves his hands down at the, the bottom of his of his shirt to tuck it properly. And oh, that interesting. among fans is the Picard maneuver.
1: The Picard maneuver. Got yes. it. I'll have to watch for it. When we see it the first time, you can point it out to me. <laughs> <laughs> So the next episode we're going to talk about is Hide and Q. This is the 10th episode of the first season. It originally aired on the 23rd of November, 1987, which is very close to when we're recording this. Um, Teleplay by C.J. Holland and Gene Roddenberry. Oh, he's involved in writing this. Interesting. Story by C.J. Holland and directed by Cliff Bowl.
0: Q returns to the Enterprise, testing Commander Riker by giving him the power of the Q.
1: So I was excited the Q was back. How about you? I (laughs) I mean, you knew he was coming, but... Um, yeah, I
0: love every Q episode, even the, the the even the ones that aren't very good. Because John Delancey is a delight to watch. He hams it up uh, every time he's on camera, and he he has so much fun with this role. Like, and the
1: costume he, he, budget when they have Q episodes must just be up the yin yang. Because like, what the heck? Why is he so always changing his clothes so much? And they're always so detailed. Like, I loved his um his dress, his dress outfit, but that had the gold around. Uh-huh. Know? Yeah,
0: that was an that was an admiral's uniform. Yeah,
1: yeah, I loved that. And then he had that. He had the monk outfit. He had the Napoleon outfit. The he monk had... outfit. Yeah, yeah, he had a bunch of outfits. And I was like, they must spend a ton of money on costumes when they do a, a uh, Q episode.
0: I want to talk, actually, since we're talking about costumes, about a very interesting and very subtle costume choice that they made with Q. When he is doing the uh, the Temptation in the Wilderness scene with mm-hmm. uh, Riker, he's only wearing three pips.
1: Oh, interesting. Which is how many Riker has, right?
0: Right. He's he's wearing the dress of a commander. That is the only time he has ever uh, debased himself to being a commander. But there's a... Like, it, I immediately recognized the, the the symbolism of doing that. He was presenting himself to Riker as an equal because he's just given Riker that power.
1: So what did you... I mean, just, that's a good place for me to ask. What did you think of Riker's reaction to having the power all of a sudden?
0: I thought it was kind of cheesy. I, I, I don't know. He he kind of turned up the, the megalomania really mm-hmm. quickly, like... As soon as he's rescued everyone, he's just standing on the bridge with his arms folded in a Superman pose, and I'm just like I I I, I get it. It's the eighties and it's TV, so you're you know I know, you're not, but you're not the most that, subtle person.
1: He does and that's not all, and then shoves his fist up dramatically or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was it was something alright. I and it didn't seem exactly on character. For Riker. Like, I thought it was a little too megalomaniac, like you're well, saying, else. And that was kind
0: of the part of the point of the episode, too. Because when uh, Riker is, you know, trying to convince everyone at the end that, you know, he can, uh, he, even though he has this power, he hasn't changed. He's still, you know, the first officer. He's still the same person. And Picard's like, have you noticed that we're on a first name basis now?
1: Right. Like, he started calling him Jean-Luc, and he rarely yeah. ever calls him that. Has he ever called him that? I don't know if he has. But like cuz we know the women call him Jean-Luc. <laughs> but
0: oh, it's Beverly calls him Jean-Luc, but that's because they have their their personal friends. But And so
1: does Deanna, mm-hmm. I think. I feel like she Deanna usually uses calls him,
0: this. She usually calls him Captain.
1: Captain, okay. So why are they playing Worf like he's Chewbacca in this episode? <laughs> <laughs> like I he kept like growling and stuff. Is that normal for Klingons? I was trying to remember and then he like I, it was weird, right?
0: No, I that, that that's kind of Worf's thing. Every Is time it? he gets okay. into battle, he's just going to be like. Rrr, 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 rrr. What what was weird to me was how they were describing like the uh, um the alien British dudes as like animal beasts, and I was just like, I don't. Mm-hmm. They just they're they're
1: they're people Star with Trek messed aliens. up faces. Yeah, they're Star Trek <laughs> aliens. Uh, honestly,
0: they looked like uh, Tellarites, which were like these um like uh, pig faced dudes from the original series oh um, they didn't look that different from those and i kind of like that was my first thought i was like oh are they tellerites?" but then they described them as animal things i'm like okay yeah that seems a little racist for a star trek when, like what you're just what oh, if it's a known race that human yeah. that humanoid has an ugly face so they're an animal beast
1: yeah okay. that is you weird. didn't say that
0: about the ferengi and they were literally <laughs> hopping around like crazed gerbils
1: <laughs> <laughs> they sure were so they get to this planet that they get beamed to and they look around, and someone says, "Where are we?" And my brain was like, "You're on the original series <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's literally i they just have the one alien planet set they've reused this thing. Uh, it's the
1: same one from the Frankie episode with the bad whips yeah
0: it, yeah and and um, I think they'll be reusing the set uh." next episode for Haven as well. Uh, but I think it's like they just changed the lighting on the skybox so that it's a different color of uh, of atmosphere. But mm-hmm. that's it. Like, it's just, you know, you've got the rocks and the, the, the dirt floor and everything. And it's like, this is the alien planet set.
1: I was really thrown off at first on the alien planet as I was like, okay, so Q's just doing that thing where he's going back into human history. And then he used French, which made my brain go... Wait, only Jean-Luc speaks French. Like, it's an obscure language now kind of thing. And then I figured out it was because Q had scanned Jean-Luc's mind, and that's why he was Napoleon. That's why Mm -hmm. he was French. Um, It took me a minute, but I figured it out. Yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, no, and it was interesting that it was in this episode where he presents it it as him being more interested in Riker. Ultimately, it still was a game between him and Picard, because he Mm -hmm. was like, I basically saying I can turn your your uh, number one against you.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. I know because like I have it written in quotes, you sir, you're taking on Riker this time. But no, he's still taking on Jean-Luc to prove that he can turn his number one against him.
0: And I love the scene in uh, Picard's ready room where uh, Q's just sitting on his desk reading the complete works of Shakespeare and yeah uh,
1: illustrated complete works of shakespeare <laughs> which i thought was weird because i have a million different complete works of shakespeare that i've read in my life and none of them have pictures
0: <laughs> and i love the arrogance of q assuming that picard hasn't read it that he's just keeping I it there as a prop because he starts trying to quote things to him and picard knows all of them he's like oh you've read that one okay all well how about hamlet. stage yeah yeah so okay well how about hamlet and then picard's like oh you want to bring up hamlet mother i've got hamlet
1: what a piece of work of his man i know that's my favorite hamlet quote too i was so excited (laughs) so good i loved it and it showed that picard and q can like spar intellectually you know and i just oh 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 but we have to stop and talk about the scene between tasha and picard when she's in the penalty box quote unquote Mm -hmm. and they're on the scene so there was there was so much tenderness and concern there that just like made me love Jean-Luc even more and when she disappeared and Q said she was in a penalty box I was so afraid for Tasha because I know she's dying soon I know she's dying Mm -hmm. in season one and I was like oh no is Tasha dying and I wasn't warned (laughs) i was like oh no this could be terrible and then she's on the bridge with the captain and he the line where he says um when one is in the penalty box tears are permitted like i was like oh my heart it was was
0: a very tender moment for picard
1: and then tasha responded in such a tasha way and says Mm -hmm. oh if you weren't the captain That one <laughs> felt a little weird. I was like,
0: "No, he's being fatherly. Don't make this a romance thing."
1: It seems so Tasha to me, though. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, Listen, I can Tasha, follow this." I, I
0: uh, <laughs> maybe Tasha just has like um, a, a, a a bucket list that she checked most of the names <laughs> off in the naked now, but <laughs> the captain still eludes her. <laughs>
1: I really, really was upset when Q was in the data suit. I was like, dude, 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 get out of data. <laughs> that
0: was so creepy. <laughs> I
1: it needed was it. so creepy. <laughs> Every moment of it. I
0: l- no, well, I loved it. I mean, obviously, yeah, it's disorienting and disturbing, but just, yeah, we're, you talk to data, but then just turns his head and it's Q and it's, oh, it looked so, yeah.
1: It was g- well done. I'm not taking it that was away very from it. I just well wanted done. it to end. I was like, mm-hmm. please, no, please get out of data. Please stop. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that I thought was interesting about this episode is, so now he's come for Riker because he saw some, something in Riker before that made him go, oh, that guy, I want that guy in my life, right? Or he, like you said, he's really just trying to mess with Jean-Luc some more. But um has he not noticed wesley yet (laughs) because isn't wesley supposed to be super magical well super smart super advanced like has q not like are we you don't have to give me spoilers but i'm assuming that maybe in the future q does see wesley because we went this whole episode without a whole bunch of wesley and then at the very end when he beams everybody down to the planet wesley is one of them and i was like oh so q is aware of wesley's existence and he lumped him in with all of the adults.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know. To my knowledge, I don't think he ever does uh, have anything specifically with Wesley. Um, you would think that, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, Um, because he's this, like, wunderkind or whatever. Yeah, well,
0: maybe it's just, uh, I don't know, Q is a little myopic, perhaps. Um, Possibly, yeah. I do love, especially just the temptation in the wilderness scene, where it Mm -hmm. seems to be revealed that... Uh, the Q are afraid of humans. Mm-hmm. That's why they're doing this. They are afraid of what humans will become. They're afraid that humans one day will surpass the Q.
1: They're going to become space babies like 2001.
0: You got to bring that back. <laughs> uh, but if they if they do that, um, and they're not socially evolved the way that they are physically evolved, that could be a great danger to the universe. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Q themselves don't seem that well socially evolved cuz he's kind of just, you know, uh, a trickster god himself. So, I don't know. Maybe uh of course, by the end of the episode when it when he's trying to renege on his uh, end of the deal and then the Q continuum yank him back for it, he's mm-hmm. just like, I don't think they're going to be very happy to learn how you failed on this one and he's like,
1: no! and gets sucked <laughs> away.
0: So, Q has great power but uh he still has uh, the continuum to uh, contend with, so. right?
1: Because it's like, okay, so we think he's this ultimate power that has all this ability, but he's really just a peon answering to somebody. And this this episode put that into the put that truly into perspective for us, you mm-hmm. know. So let's talk about the wishes. Um, so Riker gets this power, and you know, you can see it in John Luke's eyes when he's like, "Yeah, go ahead, give the crew whatever they want." He knows that this is going to be the downfall of it, or whatever. Uh huh. So let's talk about the wishes. So he thinks that Jordy wants to be able to see, right? It seems well, does wants to be able to, to see exactly, and um. And he thinks that so Worf wanted to have not not just sex, but like a companion, something from his home world or whatever. But that turned out that wasn't what was what, what Worf wanted, right?
0: Yeah, Worf was like, "No, I abandoned that." Uh, he kind of like went Volsel there, I was, which doesn't really track with his um, future characterization. So, but it mm-hmm. was interesting there. I, I was also it was it, it was also funny when when Jordy was like. Worf, is this what sex is? And Worf goes, this is sex. This is
1: sex, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I was like... Especially Listen. after the episode, Justice, after after that episode where he was basically like, yeah, I can't have sex unless it's with a Klingon woman, you know. And here he has the
0: opportunity, and he's just like, no, Riker, you can't just magic me up a big titty goth GF.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, So the wishes are interesting. So if you had as you <laughs> standing in Rai-Q. front of you... <laughs> And he was going to give you the one wish of your entire life. Do you know what it would be for you? I know what mine would be. Do you know what yours would be? I'd have to think about it. What's yours? Mine would be to be get, get rid of my pain, like my chronic illness. Because I think for me, it's pretty obvious that that's what I just want to go back to being a normal human person, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Of course, if you had Raikyu in front of you, you could assume that uh, you would also have Dr. Crusher in front of you and she could just do the thing, the pain thing. The The thing thing with
1: the magic thing. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Um, But that was my first thought is, oh, I would in a heartbeat, you know, stomp my fingers and have my pain go away and have my full use of my body back. And the other thing is, is I don't know personally if I would have been able to turn down the opportunity to basically... Learn and study and become another wholly evolved space baby, you know, like basically that's what they were offering him was to evolve to the next plane of existence, and he turned it down.
0: I'd take it in a heartbeat um me too. <laughs> I spend a lot of my time you know dealing with the uh the hell worlds that we're in, uh just like fantasizing about like waking up tomorrow with like superman powers or something and fixing the mm-hmm. world yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd absolutely take the powers of a god if they were offered to me.
1: And I think of all people, Riker isn't necessarily a bad person to have be a human that joins the Q Collective. So I was I was finding myself thinking, man, if these writers had the strength to do it, they should have just written Riker into the Q Collective, but then they would be down a Riker, right? Right, But it would have been a really interesting thing that I could maybe see a more modern show actually doing, you know, like writing him into the Q collective when you think he's going to be a regular character that continues on for the rest of the show or whatever, because it'd be shocking to write off your first officer in the first couple of scenes. But of all the people on the ship, like I thought he was one of the best choices for the Q to try to to like collect up and like have him be a part of the next evolution And basically Jean-Luc is like, no, you can't do this. You should, you you would take away humanity or whatever Jean-Luc's excuse was. Um, And I kind of was like, but why? Why shouldn't he just evolve into the next form of human?
0: And also, yeah, and and particularly Riker, who is a very ambitious uh, person. I mean, you know, he has his eyes set on the captain's chair. And Mm -hmm. so you give him something that's even beyond that. uh, It's very hard to turn that down.
1: It is. And now that we avoided it, let's talk about Man-West.
0: <laughs> oh, they nailed it. Totally <laughs> it looks so like good. what Will Easton looks like now, doesn't it? <laughs> so much. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I, it's always a, a problem when you're trying to cast like older or younger versions of an actor. I, it's easier with younger versions of an actor because you can just reference what they looked like when they were younger and then go there. But when you're going older, it's always just like, okay, yeah, I, I don't buy that for a second. And
1: right. And he was very much the epitome of like an 80s hunk. You know, uh-huh. like he could have been cast in any 80s movie as like the hunky boyfriend or whatever. But <laughs> when he like- talked,
0: he still had Will Wheaton's voice coming out of his mouth. And it was just Will Wheaton like trying to like talk in his lower register so it sounded like he was more adult oh, was
1: it will wheaton i thought it was the guy trying to sound like will wheaton <laughs>
0: no that was will wheaton's voice coming out of his mouth and it's funny too because he was like trying to go in his lower register but if you listen to will wheaton these days he sounds exactly like he did on the show he's always just he's like because he I watch, became
1: an older version of himself he's yeah. just
0: every time i watch him like hosting a show or something i'm like no he's just the big kid that he always was
1: so there was a point. Speaking of less, this is. So there was a point where a kid walked by in a blue um, uniform in the background, and my brain was like, "Oh, is that the Cheerios kid?" You know, because we've all determined we've determined now that Will Wheaton is not the Cheerios kid, right? <laughs> so I looked up the Cheerios thing, and it was like on Memory Alpha or something like that, and it turned out some elderly lady won it, and she didn't even do the walk-on roll she just took the payout, and I was so <laughs> frustrated with that.
0: <laughs> Maybe Come she just on. didn't watch the show. I've like like if you're if you're not a fan of Star Trek you're just like, oh it's a contest. Oh, there's a, a prize option, sure I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like for something like that, if you're going to offer a walk-on role to a show, like you should probably have to tick the box that says I like this show.
1: I know you should have to or at least you know like you have to do the walk-on I mean having the ability to have it be a payout just kind of frustrated me because like I watched that on the show I watched it on commercials when I was a kid and I thought that somebody had actually won a walk-on role and you know I as we all know I thought it was Will Wheaton um but so I was kind of frustrated to find out it was an elderly lady who didn't even do the (laughs) walk-on So clearly yeah. her, her IQ wish would not be to be on Star Trek.
0: <laughs> that that You know what? I've got it. I've got my IQ wish. Yeah, what Put is it? Put me in Star Trek.
1: Oh, the show or like the world?
0: Put the show. Put me in the, the show. show.
1: Yeah, that is kind of amazing and it fits you really well. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it for today. So thanks for joining us. I'm Ari. And I'm Gay Fesh. And until next time. Live long and prosper.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash restofbothworlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.